And uh, for today, I just want to speak to us on Christ-like love. We are still dealing with the culture of the kingdom. We began by talking about the language of the kingdom, which is sunnish. And for a while now, we've been on this love bent. Because I truly believe if we get the culture right and get the love right, everything else will fall in place. Love is the culture of the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, I also want to submit to us that the cross in Calvary was the greatest demonstration of God's love and power. The cross is the greatest demonstration of God's love and power. And that's where I'm going to be uh, uh, springing forth from this morning. So let's just read a couple of scriptures. I will introduce the message and we'll get into some points very quickly. In 1 John chapter 3, by this we know love. How? How do we know love? By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. Full stop. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Please, it's not saying you should go and get on the cross. And die literally. That's not what it means. We're going to get to the meaning of that in a moment. But if you want to know what love is, by this we know love. Why? Because he laid down his life for us. Now let's read one more passage in 1 John chapter 4. From verse 9. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us. How? That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. Oh my goodness. You know, Sammy was preaching up here a minute ago while he was supposed to, do, to be doing the transition from the prison worship to whatever. He was actually preaching the sermonette. But he was preaching about how Jesus came, lived a sinless life, and died. And if care is not taken all, because we're so familiar with the scriptures, it just, we hear them, but it doesn't really register. This past weekend, we went to some meetings in Maryland. Dr. McCambi was there. And he and Sammy Badaki raised some questions that have just ruminated over the week. We just read it. This is love because he laid down his life for us. The questions were, why did Jesus have to do it? 
Why did Adam and Eve even have to fall in the beginning? God, we know, is omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He knows everything about all things. You and I know from what we've been teaching that he finished the work before he ever began it. We are told in the book of Revelation that Jesus Christ was slain from before the foundation of the earth. So for sure, what happened in the garden could not have been a, uh, a panic for him. He could not have been surprised. He knew it was going to happen. So if God knew it was going to happen, why did he put the trees in the garden? If he knew it was going to happen, why in particular did he leave the tree of the, good, of the knowledge of good and evil? When he knew for sure that the very thing you tell kids not to do is exactly what, what? they will do. In fact, oh my God, I'm standing up here and I'm getting some stuff. The reason we are saying the law is not for you and I today. We need to understand the issue of the law. Trying to live the law reproduces in you what you're trying to avoid. Perhaps if God did not give any law, if he did not tell them don't eat of the tree, maybe they would have stayed away from it. But the moment he gave that command, I said, don't partake of this tree. That's exactly what to do. For you that want to live under the law, you need to understand how it works. The very law you are trying to come under is the one that undoes you. Because the Bible says very clearly, by law, through the law, we know sin. Sin is revealed. So the questions just went on and on and on and on and on and on. To make matters worse, as we are contemplating these questions, Isaiah chapter 47, I believe it's verse 5, no, Isaiah 45 verse 7, let me read it. Isaiah 45 verse 7, look at what it says. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. Ah, the Lord. Do all these things. We can't even blame the devil for that. So the question is why? Why will God create darkness and light? Why will he create good and evil? And he take responsibility for it. You know how these days uh, when something happens, they understand. There's a, there's a terrorist attack in Iraq or in Afghanistan or maybe in Nigeria. After two or three days, you get a memo where this guy says, we were the one that did it. We take credit. God wants you to know here, I create darkness. And I create light. Don't try to defend him. Don't try to, to rationalize it. Don't try to just disguise it. No, 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 no. He wants you to know he did it. In fact, we take those questionings to another level. I said to God, how did the devil ever come into being? God created Lucifer, brother Daniel. And Lucifer, the Bible says, was his anointed cherub. 
He covered God. He was the another cherub that covered God. And all the while, when God made him, was making him, God knew he would lead rebellion in heaven. But he still made him. The answer is so simple, it is stupid. That's why I started this morning with those scriptures. This is love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for others. The reason God did all these things, created the garden, put Adam and Eve in the garden, put the trees there, gave them instruction, created darkness and light, evil and good, Lucifer, all the host of them. The reason God did that is because God in his truest essence is love. Okay? You will get it in a moment. Love can never be love Unless he had something to hang upon. So if God is love. And there were no humans. And there were no uh, 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 creation that can respond to that love. Then love does not exist. So even though God had everything, is everything, he lacked that. Love can never in its essence be love unless it has something to latch onto or to hang on. That's number one. Did you get that? Oh man, I want to make sure you guys get, you guys get that. Love can never be love unless love has something to hang on and also whatever is hanging on can reciprocate. Can love it back. Huge. And then in order for love to be in effect, there must be choice. There must be choice. Oh, I don't know. There are two billion women on the face of this earth, but this is my choice. This is my wife. Love made that decision. Apart from love being able to make a decision, then it is not love. Are you following what I'm saying to you? So because God is love, that is the essence of who he is. Before everything else, anything else, he needed something to hang the essence of who he is on and to be able to receive from us, but at the same time, give us a choice. We know he had to give us a choice because when we read the book of Job, you saw what Satan did. Has God not blessed Job because if you take this aid from him, will he still love you? Will he still serve you? Will he still worship you? So God said, you know what? I give him a choice. Good and evil. 
life and death, but choose life. But the choice at the end of the day rests with us. Amen? Now, having said that, let me just say one more thing and then we're going to flow into the essence of the message of Christ like love. We said this a couple of weeks ago that love is the soil through which the believer grows. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. That is huge. Paul was admonishing the church at Ephesus, and this is what he said to them, just so you get it. Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 19. He talks about knowing the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So if I'm ever going to be filled with the fullness of God, I have to know, to believe, and to embrace the love of God. Put in a different way. Love is the activator of our faith. I have a, a, a credit card that I carry in my pocket, an American Express card. And when I got a card, it came with that strip on it where it tells you to activate it and give you the phone number. And every time I try to use the card, and I turn at that card, they will always tell me, sir, you've not activated this card. I said, yes, I have. Just use it. And it works because I have indeed activated it, but just, I just never removed the strip. So can you imagine you have a debit card, charge card, credit card, and you never activated it? The privileges are there. Your money is in the bank, but you can never use it unless you activate it. What I'm saying to you this morning is that's exactly what love does in the life of a believer. Galatians chapter 5. Faith worked by love. In other words, if you have faith, but you lack love, your faith will not be activated. Love is the activator of our faith. Amen? So now very quickly, let's just now dive into this. Let me share with you four things about the Christ-like love. Four things. Number one, and let's go to John chapter 13 for this. Oh, no, no, no. Don't let's go there first. Give me John chapter 12. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I said the cross is the most powerful demonstration of God's love. How can I forget this? John chapter 12, verse 31. John 12, 31. Give it to me in the original language. KJV. KJV. Thank you. KJV means King James Version. Thank you very much. Look at this. Now is the judgment of this world. Please pay attention. I'm about to set you free. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. What is the subject matter? Okay, let's do it one more time. You guys, man. You guys can really mess up a party. <laughs> John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. 
what is the subject matter? Judgment. Judgment. For all you grammarians, judgment is a subject matter. Next verse. And ah, man, in those days when I was in Kojik, I used to use this to preach. This was a good humming, humming, singing verse. And ah, if I, I be lifted up. Now, and I. <laughs> Listen to this. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Do you remember what the subject title is? The previous verse? What was it? Good. Now look at this verse. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, talking about the cross, will draw all men unto me. Is he drawing all men? Come on, answer the question. Is he drawing all men? Is he really drawing all men? You guys are the greatest liars I've ever found. Of course he's not drawing all men. Not at the moment it's not. There are atheists, there are people that don't believe in Jesus Christ, there are Muslims. I mean, it's not drawing all men. Something is wrong with this verse. What is wrong with it? The parenthesis was not there. That's why man is put in parenthesis. What was the subject matter? Okay. If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all judgment unto me. That is the truth. The point being, at the cross, I told you at the beginning, it was the greatest demonstration of God's love and power. At that cross, judgment was issued. Not to you, as we deserved, but to the devil who was trying to sidetrack us and consequently, every judgment that was due me and you, Jesus took it upon himself. That's exactly what he was saying. Because otherwise, the other scripture, if you read it the other way, it could not be correct. Because all men are not being drawn to him. Including some, including some of your cousins and brothers and sisters. But I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all unto me. All judgment. Every conceivable judgment that the enemy tried to put on you and I, Jesus took them all. Just so you can have a greater appreciation of what happened at Calvary. Every judgment whatsoever he took upon himself. Now, four quick things. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Christ-like love. Number one, it is selfless. Selfless. Let me just read from John 13. In verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and guarded himself. This is the most incredible act for the Son of God to ever do. He set a supper 
And in that precise moment, he laid aside. Please pay attention to the language. He didn't get rid of those clothes. He just laid them aside. Garments. What do those garments represent? Exodus chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. The Bible tells us that the garments of the priest of Aaron was for glory and for beauty. So Jesus, in serving these, his disciples, laid aside what? His glory and his beauty. Selfless serving. Selfless love. Okay? A lot of times we get testimonies about how people who came from nothing became something. But in Jesus' case, it was the exact opposite. This was a something that became nothing. Just to demonstrate the love of God to the people he served. He laid aside his beauty and his glory and made himself of no reputation. For many of us, we cannot introduce ourselves without a title. Somebody came and said, what's your name? Bank Akimala is not sufficient. I have to import something to support who I am. Something is wrong with us. Jesus, the Bible says, made himself of no reputation. Now, am I saying we should not uh, honor people and acknowledge what they have achieved? No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. But if somebody said, Renee, what's your name? Your name is Renee. Your name is not missionary Renee Presley. If I said, what's your name? I'm not asking what you do. I said, what's your name? Your name is Renee. Then if I go to ask you, what do you do? Then you can tell me you're a missionary. I go to the space center and I say, uh, sir, what's your name? Oh, I'm rocket scientist uh, 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 Frank Asegboa. I'm not asking what you do, sir. I'm just wondering, what is your name? Jesus was not like that. He voluntarily laid aside lest he be confused with who he really was. He wanted to show us a picture of reality when it comes to love. He wanted to connect with the people to whom he's been sent to love and serve. My name is Bank Akimola and I'm your friend. I don't need any props. Because I know who I am. I know whose I am. And I know the gift of God within me. I don't need any props. No. Jesus here demonstrated selfless love. He didn't, interfere, he didn't try to interfere in the sin with his glory. And his, so he laid it aside. Don't confuse who I am, what I'm about to do. Let me just lay that aside. Selfless love. Now, <laughs> let me say this to us about, and there's a lot of scriptures here that I'm just going over, but I'm just keeping. If we're going to really love people, we have to become humble. And let me help us understand what humility is. 
True humility is not thinking less of yourself to diminish yourself or to demean yourself. No. That in itself is false pride. True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not debasing yourself. It's not demeaning yourself. It's not diminishing yourself. When you do that, you insult God. Instead, true humility is thinking less about yourself. Thinking of yourself less. In other words, every conversation, uh, uh, Pastor Banker, Pastor Banker, I'm always interjecting myself, me, 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 promoting myself. That's not humility. That is pride and insecurity. But Jesus here, the first example I'm giving you, I'm showing you here, about this Christ-like love is selfless love. Love that totally discounts himself. Now, in order for you and I to function in selfless love, there is a progression of revelation that we must get. For some of us, we get it in five seconds. Others of us, it could be five years. But this is it. Number one, the grace factor. What do I mean by that? The grace factor means I understand that by grace God has accepted me. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. I don't merit it. By the grace of God, I am accepted in the beloved. Grace factor. That's number one. Number two, remember I said it could happen in five seconds. It could take five years. And for some, they never get it. The second part of that progression to come into selfless love is faith element. What do I mean by that? The faith element says, bank, you've believed and accepted the grace of God to love you. The first element is me accepting that God has accepted me. Do you understand that? See, God can have grace in your life, but you have to accept it. And that's what I'm finding to be people's problem. They are not able to accept the grace of God upon their life. It sounds too good to be true. And if you don't get to that point, you will never be able to function in love. So number one, grace. The grace to know that God has accepted me unconditionally. No matter what. Number two, their faith to accept God's acceptance. You follow me? Number three, the peace factor. The peace factor. What's the peace factor? The peace factor is to help me to understand that I have I am accepted. I have peace with myself. I'm at peace to know, listen, bank, you may be 900 pounds, but regardless of how big you are or how small you are, God loves you. He's accepted you. I receive by faith. I'm at peace with it. Amen. Do you know how much people are trying to alter themselves? Just Just because of other people's opinion? 
I mean, they change their nose, change their face, change their belly, do all kinds of crazy things just because they want to be accepted. And they do not recognize, listen, God has accepted you just as you are. By his grace, it may change you to something else, but listen, God, you don't have to change for him to be accepted. You are already accepted in the beloved. People are losing sleep, swallowing pills, doing all kind of crazy things because they want to be accepted. Grace, recognizing that God loves you unconditionally. Faith, recognizing, listen, I'm already loved by God. And peace, being at peace or at rest for who I am. I don't need to be one inch taller. I don't want to be shorter. I don't want to be fatter, thinner. I don't care. No matter how I find myself, God is pleased with me. Huge. Because I'm about to make a point now. If you don't get those first three right, if you're constantly looking at yourself a little funny, well, if I had a smaller nose, maybe my husband would love me better. If I have a bigger head, maybe my wife would love me better. If I have a if, as long as you are thinking like that, the devil will wear you out. Yes, sir. Because just as soon as you be like that, then they add something else. Yes. And then they add something else. And yes. then you become a chameleon. You, yes. can, you, can, you, you, you lose your identity. You don't even know who you are any longer. Yes. Be who you are. Yes. Be satisfied with what God has made you. Amen. And no matter what condition you find yourself in, Thank God for it and say, God, here am I. Use me. So first I have to have grace to know that God accepts me. Faith to know that, uh, to accept what God's already accepted. Three P's to accept myself. Now, as a result of the first three, love comes in. Now I am free to accept others. Do you see how far down the list it is? The reason we've not been able to love one another is because for some of us, we are struggling to receive the grace of God. And for others of us, we do not have faith to believe that God really loves us the way he said. And for others of us, they say, well, I heard what he said, but I'm not really satisfied. And maybe if I lose six inches, I add six inches. And as long as you are going through that, you can't love anybody else. Why? Because the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you are not settled, if you are not stable in your mind, in your conscience, in your emotions, you cannot love anybody else. You have a problem. Houston, there's a problem. And Jesus is the solution to that problem. You are already accepted in the beloved. You don't have to add an inch or take even an inch from who you are. God loves you just as you are. Receive it, embrace it, be at peace with it in Jesus' name. So the grace factor, the faith factor, the peace factor, the love factor, meaning now I'm able to, I'm free to accept others. And now, the last one is the fellowship. Because now I'm free to love others, now others can accept me. That's where fellowship is firing at all cylinders. Because now I have some kind of stability about who I am based on what God has done for me. I've received it, believed it, accepted it, and on the basis of that, I reach out to Greg, I'm loving you. Now, something emanates from my being that tells everybody else I'm ready for fellowship. Apart from which, Nobody would like to get around me. 
I'll be like a porcupine. Everybody comes and I pick them up. I'm always critical, judgmental, criticizing, looking for something that's wrong with everybody. Why? The problem is you. That problem is what? You. Yes, sir. Fix you, you can fix everything else. But let it start from you. That grace factor. The faith factor. The peace factor. The love factor. And then we flow into fellowship. Like I said, it can be a five-second event. Bang, bang, bang. I get it, I get it, I get it. Praise God, I'm ready. For others, we struggle through life not able to complete that process. But if we don't complete the process, we will never be able to give out the Christ selfless kind of love. That's number one. Amen? Did you get that? Doesn't make any sense? Second, Christ life love. John chapter 13, verse 1. The first one is selfless love. The second one is steadfast love. Steadfast love. Look at John chapter 13, verse 1. Oh, and it is getting hot in this house. And so, I take my jacket off. I don't want to look cute and burn up. John 13 verse 1, look at what it says. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to what? The end. The Amplifier says he loved them to the last and the highest degree. Steadfast. Mind you, in this group of people, verse 2 tells us Judas Iscariot was there. Who was to betray him momentarily. And in spite of that, his love was consistent and steadfast enough to where Jesus could still wash his feet. If my love and your love, hear this, cannot stand the test of excruciating times, then it is not love. Oh, I love it. It's quiet, holy hush. If this love we're talking about, steadfast love, cannot stand the test of time, the test of uh, uh, affliction, the test of persecution, the test of distress, then it is not really the Christ kind of love. Steadfast. Jesus loved his own from the beginning until the end and is still loving them till this moment. One of the greatest examples we find in scripture is found in Luke chapter 15. Steadfast love. Where the father lost his son who came to ask for his inheritance in advance. If you truly understand the culture of that day, when that young brother came to the man and said, give me the inheritance due me now, while the man was still living, he was actually, in fact, sentencing his father to death. 
Because inheritance only comes after death. So he was in essence saying to him, I don't want your fellowship. I don't appreciate your presence. Just give me your goods. And the father obliged. Gave him the goods. The boy went to a far country, we are told. Wasted the livings. Wasted his resources. And in spite of the embarrassment he brought to the father, in spite of the disgrace in the community that came unto him, we are told that as the boy began to return back home, the father, with eager expectation, was yearning for him. Yes. That is not just loving, steadfast love. This is a love that is not contingent on good behavior. It is a love that is not contingent in your performance. It is a love that far exceeds the issue of if you do this, I'll do that. No, 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 no. I am glad I serve a God who does not have a report card in heaven to know how many times I miss it, what I did not do right, how far short have I been. No, that is not my God. And I want you to know this morning, I have assurance in the steadfast love of my father. Oh, that's why I love the songwriter. The songwriter said, that steadfast love or the love never ceases. I don't care if it's morning time or noon time or midnight hour. That steadfast love does not cease. That's what's available in God for everyone under the sound of my voice. Amen. Not just the selfless love, but also the steadfast love. And by extension, I hope you realize this is the kind of love we should have for one another. Amen. Let me make sure you don't think this is just some esoteric message that hangs in heaven. No, the selfless love and the steadfast love is available to us right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are born again people. And the Bible says the love of God has been shed above in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's doable. It's available. It's possible. Right now. From one another. If we had that kind of love, where would divorce be? If our love for one another is steadfast, what would happen to divorce? Lawyers will find a new profession. Amen. Amen. Selfless love, steadfast love, and number three, serving love. Serving love. Serving love. Again, John chapter 13. <clears throat> John 13, verses 4 and 5. Look at what happens here again. Jesus rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and gathered himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he, had, he was gathered. Now, I'm not going through all the details. I'm not milking this entire passage because Sam Badaki taught on this a while back. And if you really need to get all the uh, attending uh, details on this message, I think you need to pick up the tape because I'm trying to do something else with this particular passage right now. But suffice it to say, the love we're talking about is tangible through service. Look at the deliberateness of Jesus. 
They were eating. And when the time came, and by the way, this was his last night with these disciples. He laid aside his garments. I found that to be very interesting. Because when you read in verse 12, I believe it is. Let's go there for a minute. When you look at verse 12, the Bible says, So when he had washed their feet, taking his garments and sat down again. This is very instructive. So in order to serve one another, get this, it is not a perpetual thing you do forever. Service is a moment in time. So I lay aside my garments of glory for a minute to serve you. It does not label me. I just remove those garments for a minute because after I finish serving you, Greg, I can put them back on. So God is not disrobing me. He's not punishing me. It is a voluntary thing where I lay it aside so I can minister to you and add value to you and be a blessing to you. And when that time is over, I can go back and pick it back up again. Incredible. Incredible. No, real love knows no job that is too lowly. Love is not giving people what they deserve, but what they need. These disciples did not deserve to have their feet washed by Jesus, but they needed it. People tell me, people ask me this question. What is this grace mercy doing to you? And I tell them, let's say, listen, I don't have to think about it. I can tell you categorically that it's changing my life. Completely. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Because I want to bring it home to you. The first thing it did for me is bring an awareness of me being able to serve my wife. Things that she had been complaining about in the house. I give you an example. In a bathroom, we have two face, uh, what do you call it? Sinks. Double barrels, thank you. Ah, it's a bad <laughs> Joseph, give me a dollar for you. <laughs> Double. My side, her side. Every day, she tell me, all these things on your side. Just clean up, clean up after yourself when you finish. Clean up. Uh, I said, uh, you have your side, I have my side. <laughs> Since you have to use your side, use your side. Don't use my side. My side is not clean, but I can deal with it. Just about every day for years, I hear that message. I have water all over the thing. Just, just wipe, wipe behind yourself. I'm going there to use the restroom to use the to to take care of myself. My cologne is gone from the counter. I'm looking. Where is this? Oh my! I put. Leave my stuff alone. Tox is back there laughing. Faith is here. Tony said, they know. In my house. 
If you don't open your letters in time, your letters with your name on it, it's gone. Because I have a monk for a wife. Everything must be spotlessly shine and clean. I came back from Maryland. Saturday night. Late. Tired from ministering all day. I'm coming to your house. I'm saying, wow, praise God. All these flight delays. In fact, we landed. The plane was on a timer for 30 minutes. We couldn't find a gate. Finally, get out of the aircraft. Zoom, rushing home. Praise God. Let me just go and chill out before Sunday morning. I enter the house. You know what my wife is doing? <laughs> Vacuuming. I said, Vacuum? I'm trying to get into my bedroom. She said, please don't uh, take off your shoes. I said, my God, listen. I'm rushing to get home to come and chill. Now I can't because all the noise. I said, come on, how, I mean, you're going to bleach. I mean, you're going to, the couple will die from being shampooed. True story. But when this message started getting hold of me. True story. The first areas decided to deal with me is serve your wife. So don't tell me about love if husbands cannot serve their wives. You don't know about this love of Christ at all. So, intuitively, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I need the power of the Holy Spirit for this one. I'm not consciously cleaning my Facebook. Every time I use it now, I wipe it down. <laughs> now, this, this is a little more graphic, but I want you to get the message. Okay? I go to the restroom, I do my business, I drip over the commode, and just leave. I'm the head of the house. Glory to God. <laughs> and she come back and tell me, man, can you not just clean this stuff? <laughs> I didn't pay any attention. Now, if I can mop it and shine it, I will do so. No, see, because, because this is real. Listen, this message is not just a piece of paper for me. This is reality. He has changed the way I relate to her, to my children, and to everybody around me. Absolutely. Why? Because the grace of God that has appeared to all men has saved me. And I now know the price that Jesus paid in order to redeem me and have all the judgment that was me upon himself. If it's just a head message, it's not a message. I was with Pastor Dollar two weeks ago. I've known this guess what? 1989, you think, only some thereabouts? And knowing him and seeing him now, and I know that this is what he's preaching now. And by the way, I am not preaching this because of him. Let's get that clear. I started on this journey when we did, we started the rest of the Lord. Yes. Psalms 23. Correct. That's how it happened. Amen. There's Amen. just a converging that's taking place. Yes, because it's a season that we are upon. Yes. But in just coming around him now, he's so mellowed now, it's like, this is not the same craft. I know. Talking to him in the UK last week, he has the exact same testimony. They asked him the question, how did your wife receive this message? And he said, when his wife saw the change in him, 
That is for her. That is for her. It's children who are having some challenges, almost getting to borderline rebellion. When they saw the change that the grace of God brought to their father, they all lined up. We want a part of this. Listen, I'm not sharing a secret. He shared this openly. Amen. Amen. My wife and I were at a meeting with him in Alabama. And the oldest daughter, who was almost, a, almost just, I mean, she was almost gone, has not been so touched by this grace. She sings now, and she released an album, I Didn't Deserve It. Oh, my God. Listen. When that girl sang that song on the platform on that day, there was no dry face in the audience. None. None. Listen, I am not telling you about something I read in a piece of paper. If that was so, it'd be, it'd be, this is reality. Yes. Yes, sir. Reality. Yes, sir. It works. It, it places in a place of rest. You are, I am at complete rest with myself. Now, I love you guys dearly. I've said it. You know it. I love you. But let me say something else to you. If you choose not to come tomorrow, it doesn't bother me one bit. Amen. Not one iota. Say, Pastor, how will you pay the bills? I don't care. It is not on me. I am not carrying a burden that God has not given me to carry. If God wants his church to function, he will finance it. If he doesn't, I'll go do something else. Because by his grace, through faith, am I saved? Hallelujah. I couldn't I care less how much money came in the offering. I'm not being arrogant. I'm just being confident. And my confidence is in the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, man, I feel like testifying this morning. I may just testify this afternoon. God is so good. Where's Charles O'Chay? Apostle. Thank you. I just want to make sure you're there. Annabelle. Two, three months ago, they brought a check to me in my office. $6,000. Hallelujah. This is big money. And as I left, as they left me, I walked out of my office Hannity Revelation, as I put it in the offering. I got in the car, I'm driving home. Charles calls me, Pastor, we just want you to know that check we gave you, it's for you. I say it's for me, they say yes. Ah, I say, I'm sorry, it's too late. I handed it over to the church already. Some good, meaning, well-intended people said to me, Pastor, I mean, the man told you it's for you. Just go tell them, because, I mean, this is just minutes after church. Go tell the counters. It's a mistake, it's for you. I said, no, I will never do it. I said, I will never do it. If God wanted to be for me, and took, when he gave it to me, God would have opened their mouth to let me know in that moment. I said, I will never, I will never go back. Revelation standing there. Is that true, Revelation? I said, I will not go back. And I told my brother, I said, my confidence is in God. That God that gave six is able to do exceedingly, abundantly. What is $6,000? 
with God? You don't know the grace upon your life. See, that's the problem. You don't understand the grace. You don't. No, 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 you really don't. Because if you do, it will change the way you, you respond to God. So that went. About a month later, a different source of the which if you saw them, you, don't, you will not know they have five pennies. Walked into the same office. This time, he did not write the check to one. They wrote the bank, Akin Mola. There is no confusion in this one. 5K. Somebody said, wait a minute, you give 6,000, you just got 5,000 back, it's not complete. You don't understand God's mathematics. We were in the UK last week. Was it last week? Whenever it was. I had $11 in my pocket. Eleven. Eleven dollars. Monday night service. I forgot the setting where I was. They say it's time for offering. I said, offering? Whoa! I had only eleven dollars. I put it in the basket. Tuesday morning, we came to, back to the service. Offering again. I said, wow. I thought this was work for him. We only take one offering one week, once a week. I said, what am I going to do? I used my debit card. Immediately after that morning service, a guy sitting behind me. My wife was there. This, I'm not telling you it's a joke. This last, this two weeks ago. Whom I just met the week before. At a different meeting. Came to me, shook my hands, left me an envelope. 200 pounds. I went from $11 to £200, and for you guys, the old, good old Yankee Americans, that's $300. <laughs> Just like that. I said, well, this is good. This is getting good. Wednesday, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the place. I just went to support the meeting. I was not preaching. I was not the preacher. The preacher said, your presence has been such a blessing to us. You've added value to our meeting. Give me a check. $2,500. Now, don't come and knock my, my door office. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. If you knock, your knuckles will just be bruised. <laughs> I'm sharing this with you because you need to understand the grace of God. Yes. Now, much more has happened since then, though. You are not able to receive it yet. That's why I'm not sharing it now. Much more, much more, much more. I'm talking about within two, three weeks. And by the next two weeks, I have more testimony. It's a nice lifestyle. This is, you don't, you don't, you don't God yourself for it. You don't pray for it. You don't sweat for it. It just follows you. It's a grace factor. It is a grace factor. I'm telling you, it's a grace factor. It's a grace factor. I don't even know the last time I prayed about money. I'm telling you. Why would I need to pray about it? Does my father not know what need I have? I'm talking about the steadfast love of God. Receive that grace. Have faith in that grace. Have peace in that grace. Love out of that grace. And then it attracts people to you. You become a love magnet. And there's no way you are, you are attracting people to you that they will not leave a blessing upon you. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. Oh, there are things that are developing now. I can't even talk about them.
They're unlawful. They're unlawful. Listen, I love you guys, and I really do. I want you to know that. Please don't misunderstand me. I really, really love everybody here. I thank God for the privilege to serve you, to be a blessing here. I love it. But I'm telling you, if God shuts this door tomorrow, don't call me to crying. Because I won't be crying. You're hearing from me now. I will not cry. Because if God did that, he has something else. I'm telling you in advance, my life is not limited to a location. The grace of God upon this life is not localized. Ah, man. I don't know if I should just, I, I don't know if I should just shut up or keep on talking. But, because I'm, I'm just so absolutely excited at what God is doing. Getting on it. Because the wagons are coming. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. The wagons has your goods in it. And it's on its way. I'm going to show you how in a minute. Let me, just, let me just manage to finish this message. Because if I come where I am, I can go, keep on going and going and going. But the essence of what I'm saying to you is the message has changed me. If it's not changing you, something is wrong. It shouldn't just be a message. It should become a lifestyle. It should become a lifestyle. So we have the selfless love, we have the steadfast love, we have the serving love, and while we are on the serving love, why are you not serving in the house of God? Why do you come to the house of God and just enjoy the house of God but don't give back to it? Why? Why? The love of God should compel you to be a blessing where you are. Serve. We need to serve. That's how we demonstrate and put on display the love of God in our lives. All of us can serve. All of us can find something to do to add value to the house, to enhance the ministry, to enhance our worship, to take this to another level. Find a place, plug yourself in. Plug yourself in. All of us can do it. And that's why next Sunday, we want to appreciate those that have been doing for all this while. We want to say to you, thank you for catching on the message of loving and serving. Thank you. We want you to rest while we serve you. Amen. So if you're not serving, I really strongly encourage you. Talk to Pastor IBK. Find a place where you can belong and allow that gift of God in you to start coming forth. Amen. Selfless love, steadfast love, serving love, and then with this, and this is the most powerful of all, sanctifying love. Sanctifying love. Sanctifying love. John chapter 13. I'm going to read a little bit here from verse 6. Sanctifying love. Wow, look at time. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, 
he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Now, that is so instructive. I don't have time to get there, but that is huge. The implication here is huge. I don't need to bathe you again, Peter, because you're already clean. I just need to wash your feet because of the worldly defilement because you are, you are still functioning in the realm of the earth. Okay? For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, you are not all clean. Now, let me just jump here and uh, to make the point here so we can go. Da, 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 da. Uh, where is he talking to Peter? Oh, good. Verse 38, last verse of chapter 13. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. What's, what's, what, what am I trying to say here about sanctifying love? The issue of sanctifying love deals with how to bring corrective measures to a erring brother or sister. The issue of sanctifying love deals with how you bring correction or adjustment to a brother or sister who is wrong or wronging or erring. Jesus here knew that Peter in a moment before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. So he said, Peter, of all people, I've got to wash your feet. Because you are about to be defiled in a moment. And since my death, burial, and resurrection takes care of your past, your present, and your future, I may as well do it before you do it. I'm going to sanctify you. How do you sanctify people? By the washing of the word. Ephesians 5.26. So sanctifying love talks to you and I about how we bring correction. You don't do it by judging people. You don't do it by being overly, overbearingly critical of people. You do it by washing them. How do you wash something? You wash with gentility. You don't wash harshly. You rinse them through the washing of the water by the word of God. That's why in John 21, when Jesus confronted Peter, he did not say, Peter, do you remember how you de de denied me? Do you remember how you betrayed me? He never went there. What did he do? He sanctified him. How? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times each time for the denial that Peter offered. Sanctifying love. How do we correct people around us? Do we do it with a judge's gavel? Bam! You are wrong. I find you guilty. Or do we bring correction by speaking the truth with love, allowing grace to precede the truth? Greg, you are way better than this. I don't know what happened, but I know. I know. I trust you. You are much better than what happened. Now, what happened, Peter? Greg? I've given him grace. I've called on the goodness of God upon his life. I've, made, I've sanctified him yes. with grace. Yes. Now, haven't done that. What happened? Yes, sir. That's good. Mm. Sanctifying love. 
You cannot find anywhere in scripture where Jesus talked harshly to his people except those people that already have a preconceived notion as to what will happen. The, the Pharisees. The Pharisees. Everyone else, he handled, handled them with gentility, with kindness, tenderness. Why? Because he understood his role as a lover to love them by sanctifying them. Not by disqualifying them, but sanctifying them. Folks, these four things, you and I can go and chew on them. Am I selfless in my love? Am I steadfast in my love? Am I serving my love? And am I sanctifying my love? This issue has changed the way I speak to my son. Even when I want to correct him. I have to think through what I'm about to do before I just open my mouth carelessly. Because I do not want to frustrate the grace of God upon my life. So I factor that in if I need to bring correction to him or really anybody around me to just say, God, help me to do it with grace so that the mercy will not be lost. So that we will not think, they, they will not be labeled by the criticism rather than the Father's love that I want them to, be, to remember. Folks, let me tell you something. Every time you're talking to your loved ones, you're building memorials. You are building memorials. What will they remember? I am 61 years old today, for cry out loud. But when I think of my father, I remember the songs we used to sing together in the car when he asked me to walk to school every day. I don't have to think about it, it just comes. How many times have I sang it to you? It's true. It's true. Those are the memories I have of him. Songs we sing together. The first movie we ever went to see together, The Sound of Music, I remember that. Alibaba and the Thieves, I remember that. Those are memorials. Yes, sir. But if he was a wicked man, critical and judgmental, if every day he found fault with me, the only thing I'll remember about him is the fault. And that dispersed me from him. I don't want to be around him. Who wants to give themselves to abuse every day? Ah, Okay? You didn't shine this your head very well. <laughs> Tomorrow, why are you wearing a green shirt? It should have been white. The next time. The, I mean, who wants to be around people like that? Psychologists tell us the greatest two needs human beings have. Number one, to be loved. And number two, to be able to love. I mean, that's, that's not rocket science. Now, please, give me five minutes. The conclusion... In John 13, John 13, and we're going to use this to pray now. John 13, go back to verse 17. This really, I wrestled with this all last night. John 13, 17, look at what Jesus said. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What things? Selfless love, steadfast love, Serving love, sanctifying love. But the thing about it, he said, I'm going to be blessed if I know them and do them. Really? What kind of blessing comes upon people who love selflessly, servingly, sanctifyingly, and steadfastly? What possible kind of blessings can come upon them? Here, Jesus said it. If you know these things, 
Blessed are you if you do them. Does it mean what he's saying? Do you think it means what he's saying? Absolutely. It won't take a minute to unravel this. Romans 13. It won't take a minute. Romans 13. Verse 8. Oh, no one anything except love to one another. For he who loves another has what? Fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa. Verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. I don't think you made the connection. No, no, you did not make it. You see, the law that Israel was trying to fulfill in order to get God's blessing, God is now saying you don't have to fulfill all the 630 laws any longer. Just do the one, love. When you do love, all of a sudden, every blessing that's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through 13 becomes yours. Let's turn up to our feet. Put that scripture on the board because I don't think you guys got it. Give me Deuteronomy chapter 28 and let's say it together. Verses 1 through 13. Love is the fulfillment of the law. If you walk in love, all the laws of Moses are fulfilled in love. And therefore, consequently, you received these benefits. In unison, let's say them together from verse 1. Now, it shall come to pass, if we diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you what? High above all nations on the earth. In the name of Jesus, that's your portion. Yeah. Verse 2, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord these blessings will overtake you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 3. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. In the name of Jesus, it's yours. Amen. Remember, all of this for just loving. All of this for just loving. Verse 4. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of the ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and all springs. In other words, your businesses are blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Your careers are blessed in Jesus' name. Everything you lay your hands upon shall be blessed in Jesus' name. That's what God has said to you. Can you get excited about that for a minute? Hallelujah. Blessed shall be your basket and your needle bowl in the name of Jesus. All because you walk in love. Verse 6. Thank you. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. In Jesus' name. Johnny Moses is yours. Protection is yours. Angels of God are dispatching your assignment. In the name of Jesus. Verse number 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. In the name of Jesus. All your enemies are taken care of. They are under your feet. In the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ has defeated every enemy and therefore you have victory in Jesus' name. 
verse 8. Now we command this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Next verse. So God himself is going to keep you. Amen. He's going to establish you. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just for walking in love. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. Walk in love. That's it. That's the only commandment. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. That's it. And all these verses are yours. Next one. Then. <laughs> Hallelujah. Terror of who you are will come upon the world in the name of Jesus. That is called favor. God will cause you to have favor in the name of Jesus. Now is the set time to favor the people of God in Jesus' name. Next verse. Yes. 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 In Jesus' name, your goods are coming. I said, Your goods are coming. Your wagons, they are driving right now. They are approaching your address. In the name of Jesus, they will not miss you. In the name of Jesus. Just for walking in love. That's next one. Ah. Yes. <laughs> we are lenders and not borrowers. In the name of Jesus. We are lenders and not borrowers. In Jesus name. And the last one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I see heads and not tails. I see progress and not retrogression. In the name of Jesus. Now you may take your seat. We are about to go. Just so this makes sense to you. Now you can appreciate why Jesus said that by this we all men know that you are his disciples. It's not just love. It's, it's, it's going to bring tangible goods into your life. The tangibility of those blessings will show up in your life and then by then all will know that you are his disciples. Yes. Now it makes sense. Yes. When he says if you walk in love and you love one another then by this all will know you are his disciples. How will they know? They will see the goods. They will see the goods. So now you have motivation to do the right thing. Remember this. We are not loving to get God to do something. He has already done it. What we are doing is as a result of what he has already done. So you are not trying to bribe God with your loving one another to get some result. No, no, no. He has already finished it. It's as a result of his finished work. I cannot move and love selflessly, steadfastly, servingly, and sanctifying. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.